This program is rated D for dog. It contains sniffing, scratching and doggy themes. Hello and welcome to the Top Dog Podcast where we meet people who do amazing things for and with dogs. My name is Adrian Plitzko. All of the activities in this book, all of the exercises are really built from the things that I like to do with my own dogs. And she has been doing that for decades. After all that time, the American author, Sassafras Lowry, has now put all her experiences and all her expertise in her latest book, True This, an activity book for you and your dog. He's um, my baby. He's your baby. <laughs> He's your baby, yeah. He goes through flavors of the month, though. Sometimes he loves me, and then sometimes he loves Alex. Barney, the golden retriever. Who does he love more, Alex or Sophie? He even played a crucial role at their wedding. Since then, it has sometimes become a bit of a tricky menage. What I really like in the book is it describes this, not only the breed of the dog, but also the breed of the people. And that's what it is all about. More about the people than the protagonist in this classic novel out of Britain, Lassie, Come Home. Even more popular now since the German-made remake of the 1943 US movie Lassie, Come Home has been released in the English-speaking part of the world. When will Stelzer be back? Hopefully soon, if everything goes well. But it doesn't look good for her. We got her to the hospital quite late. Almost too late. I hope there was time enough to give her the anti-venom. Let's hope for the best. Yes, let's hope for the best. She'll be right, mate. An agonising wait has begun in this latest episode, number 15, of the audiobook Pirate the Barking Kookaburra. Stelzi, Pirate's foster mum dog, has been bitten by Tiger the Snake. Pirate... His dog friends Ajax and Hoover and Buddha the cat don't dare to think the worst. We won't either. Let's stay hopeful and get on with our podcast. Take off the leash and let the dog run wild. Come, sit, stay. Sassafras Lowry is an American author and trick dog instructor we talked to last year about her book, William to the Rescue. Bedtime Stories for Rescue Dogs. And yes, you heard me right. William to the Rescue is a picture book designed for pet parents to read to their dogs. And you can hear that interview in the podcast episode number 10, titled Buck Free Reading. Sassafras Lowry has done it again. However, this time she even went a step further, I dare to say. She wrote a part activity book and part journal that provides inspiration and guidance for dog lovers looking to enrich the lives of their pets. Sassafras Lowry, welcome to the Top Dog Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. To this journal, an activity book for you and your dog. That's the title of your new book. Tell us more. What is it all about? Yeah, so to this journal is a really fun part activity book, part journal, part training advice project that really is designed for readers to experience and explore with their dogs. So in this book, I have brought together some of my absolute favorite activities 
to do with dogs, um, some introduction to various dog sports, as well as arts and crafts and get to know you activities to help you really think about the relationship you have with your dog. Um, and all of these activities can be done at home or near home. So it's the perfect social distancing activity project as we continue into a pandemic world. But the idea really is about giving people the opportunity to do fun things with their dogs to add enrichment to your dog's life and then to document that journey that you have together. So the book becomes both an instruction manual and a keepsake. Well, you make it sound very simple, but it's actually far more than that. It is a very complex work, I would say. You divided the book into roughly seven sections, like activities and learning about dogs, the two first chapters. And in these chapters, you painstakingly have to record your dog's behavior or reactions to anything like treats. You write down what you give him and how he reacts to it. You're even asked to write down your dog's favorite toys by date. Uh, it goes on. You record more or less every little step, every little move your dog does or has done, such as uh, what was it like bringing your dog home for the first time or what is the funniest thing your dog does. Now, what is the benefit of such a detailed recording? Who does it benefit most? Does it benefit the dog in the first place or the owner as well? Yeah, both actually. So the reasoning for wanting to sort of start at that place of really getting to understanding um, your dog is so that the activities that follow you're able to have more fun together doing them. So the, you talked about sort of like giving your dog treats and writing down their response to them. The reason is I'm really trying to help people figure out what is high value to their dog uh, in terms of treats. And because we, in later sections where we're talking about doing different activities or teaching them things, you're going to want to use what's most valuable to your dog. And that might change over time. So, you know, my dog's, favorite toy today actually isn't a toy that she liked all of that much a few months ago. And so I really wanted to get readers in the habit of thinking about their dogs as um, beings who have likes, who have preferences, and that just like us, those preferences change over time. And so it's something you want to be attuned to, and that that's going to help you as you guys want to go on to do further activities together. You even have a chapter called Setting Goals. What is that one about? Yeah, then you know, I think that oftentimes one of the challenges that people have is that they will have unrealistic expectations of their dogs without ever having set their dog up to succeed. And that's something that I really try to help people to think critically about. And it's absolutely okay to have big goals for your dog, whether that's you want them to behave in the neighborhood when you're walking or at home, or if that's to, you know, go and try sports together. Having goals is great, but you have to then break that down into achievable bite-sized bits that you and your dog can get together. Dogs aren't mind readers. Dogs aren't robots. Saying, I want my dog to be able to do something isn't the same as your dog actually knowing what that is or how to do it. So trying to, the goal setting section really is about trying to help people to 
think critically about what do you want to do with your dog? There's no wrong answer here. You know, what I want to do with my dog is maybe different than what you want to do with your dog. Both are totally valid. How do we each get there with our dogs and how do we support our dogs in learning those things um, and us staying accountable to ourselves to help them to learn those things? Now, keeping a journal about your dog, uh, I assume, uh, is quite time-consuming or can be time-consuming, especially when you have to answer such detailed uh, questions that you put up in this book. Do you think people will find the time to do that? Or do you have to be really, really dedicated to your dog that you actually are making use, most use of that book? I mean, I think that we all spend a lot of time thinking about our dogs and with our dogs. So, you know, does everybody want to keep a journal about their dog? Probably not. Um, but this is a really structured way to do it. It doesn't require somebody having to set up a complicated like bullet journal in order to do it, which was some of where I got the idea for this. Um, I started bullet journaling, tracking my dog's health, training, behavior, all of that stuff. And I found it really useful. And so when I think about the amount of time that a lot of us spend posting pictures of our dogs on social media, I think it probably isn't too big of a stretch to think that at least some of us will be willing to spend some of that time um, recording observations and training progress with our dogs. Well, I guess the really fun bits are probably the chapters crafts or explore the world. So these are activities actually that you can do with your dog. Crafts, how can you do crafts with your dog? Dogs can do all kinds of things. So there's a few different crafts um, spread throughout the book. Um, everything from teaching your dog to give you their paw that you can dip in non-toxic, you know, pet safe paint and do sort of like paw print paintings to teaching your dog to hold markers or paintbrushes and actually draw and paint pictures. So um, everything from you really being sort of like the helper for that craft project to your dog getting to express themselves artistically. You even make suggestions um, what to do on the on the dog walk, you know, how to make it interesting, not only for your dog, for yourself as well. Give us an example. What, what kind of activities can you actually do on a dog walk, apart from being on the phone the whole time? <laughs> yeah, and I, that's really where the inspiration for a lot of these um, activities came from, is that so often I will see people in the world sort of really checked out from their dog on the phone. It's like the, the dog walk becomes just another chore that you have to do, um, you know, before you go to work or, you know, whatever that looks like. But in reality, being on a walk with your dog is an amazing time to gain understanding about your dog, but also how your dog sees the world, what they like, what they don't like, and to build mental and physical enrichment into your day. So there's a variety of dog walk activities that are in the book that you can do in your neighborhood. Everything from um, simple canine parkour exercises, finding things for your dog to put two paws on, four paws on, to go between, to go under, to um, sniff walks, paying attention to what is it that's interesting for your dog. Instead of, you know, hurry, hurry, hurry your dog along on the walk, take a moment, maybe on a weekend or a day that you have more time, let your dog direct the walk. Where, what is interesting to your dog? What are they sniffing? What direction do they want to go? Obviously, while keeping them safe, you know, don't 
let your dog walk into traffic, but you know, in an open space where it's safe to do that, let your dog take the lead and um, let them decide where you guys are going. In the chapter, learning about dogs, you provide the reader with some interesting to most probably unknown facts about dogs, which has sort of a, uh, an educational value as well. So we can say it's a complex book or journal containing over 230 pages, over 100 activities and, and, and uh, training plans and crafts ideas. So how did you come up with all these ideas? What kind of concept did you follow in order to achieve this really, as I said, complex and thorough picture of a dog and dog owner's relationship? Thank you. I'm, you know, I think that bringing all of these ideas together was something that I knew I wanted to do. My trick training book, uh, Tricks in the City, released last year, and people had so much fun with it. And what I really wanted to do was build off of that. Then there are some parts of to this journal that have sort of training, sort of like step-by-step and step-by-step instructions, but I wanted to do something a little bit different too. So all of the activities in this book um, all of the exercises are really built from the things that I like to do with my own dogs. Um, and I really wanted those to be accessible, to be things that people could do without lots of equipment that, you know, they didn't need to be able to go to a big training facility to access. Um, and those things, you know, because that's wonderful, but it's not accessible to everybody. So I really looked at what are things that over the last 20 years I enjoy doing with my own dogs that I found beneficial, either for sport training or for life. I lived in New York City with dogs for a long time. What are things that people can do in very urban environments or you can, you know, do if you're in, in a rural area or you're on vacation and out in nature. And so I wanted to bring all of that together along with actual facts about dogs to help people both um, have a lot of fun, but maybe also learn something about dogs in general and their own dog. An amazing book. And I'm sure if you go through that journal step by step and uh, answer all the questions, think about every little aspect of your dog's life, your dog's character, your dog's favorite uh, things and your own feelings, I'm sure this can turn your relationship with your dog in the, in the most wonderful relationship that you ever imagined. Congratulations to Chew This Journal, an activity book for you and your dog, published by Mango Publishing Group, and it will be available very, very soon, just in time before Christmas or for Christmas. So it's a wonderful gift that you can uh, give to your friends, Sassafras, Lowry, Good luck with the book and many thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully most dogs are part of the family. Some dogs, however, seem to be even more than that, like Barney, a golden retriever who played an important role at Alex's and Sophie's wedding. He's, well, he's 13 months and Sophie, my wife, always um, gets stuck into me when I talk in months. But, um, yeah, we make a big deal out of um, 
yeah, like birthday and how old he is, and it's definitely something we follow pretty closely. It's a little bit sort of strange, I think, but. So you celebrate once a month. Yeah, just, just yeah. about yeah on the eleventh. So I think we're uh, <laughs> we're coming up to it. What, what does a birthday party look like? Uh, well, for him it was um, uh, look look a, look a big walk. Uh, so took him for a big walk, and then and then a bone um, for, for the big twelve month. Um, for the six month as well, it was. It was again a bone. Yeah, very bone-driven, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. And he doesn't get a cake? No, no cake. Maybe that's for his second birthday, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So was he, how old was he when he got him? Uh, so he would have been nine, nine weeks. It's very young, yeah. 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 And did you want to have a retriever? Was that your choice? Um, it was, yeah, like we had a bit of a short lift and we were thinking about um, different options in terms of whether we get a rescue or whether we get um, a dog from a breeder or from... Um, from oh, and then in terms of breed as well, um, and then yeah, the one breeder that we were looking at was um, said there was availability, and we just did it. What were the criteria that you chose a retriever? As you, um, I think the reason why we liked him was um, you know a friendly, like just really friendly, like really good with people, really good with other dogs as well. I mean, we want to have a family at some stage, so we think that um, you know that'd be great with um, with young kids and. Um, and, and yeah, like I mean, when you just like look at him, really, it's it's hard not to um, yeah, not to be sort of happy and not to feel really good. So um, and a little bit of activity as well. He's I think it's a good mix for us. Like he, you know, we take him for a walk every morning, and every night, um, which is which is great. But then you know he likes to sort of chill out at home as well, which is quite funny. Mm. Yeah. So is he your dog or is it both your dog? Well, <laughs> our dog. Yeah, yeah, he's um. He's my baby. He's your baby. <laughs> he's your baby. Yeah. Okay, you, you admit that freely. Well, you know. He goes yeah. through flavors of the month though. Sometimes he loves me, and then sometimes he loves Al, and you can tell because he'll like he'll pick favorites. He definitely picks favorites, and and it's strange, and it will just you just a flick uh, a switch will just flick, and he um. It just sort of swaps over, doesn't it? And then he'll go yeah go either on me or on Sofa maybe three or four weeks and then he'll flip back yeah. do you ever get jealous when he's sort of paying more attention <laughs> yeah I do <laughs> absolutely absolutely. I, I say I don't but I do <laughs> you do as well yeah yeah. So what, do you, what did I do to you <laughs> well you're not telling him of when you're no, jealous no 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 you're no. telling your partner <laughs> exactly yeah exactly and then we're sort of thinking well, uh, well anyway I try and think how can I bribe him to uh, you know get him to like me again but he's um, he, he doesn't switch too quickly though does he no. No. so how do you bribe him uh, well it's, it's really with just um, activities and like big like long walks I, I think that's a big thing that um, that really flicks it for him so when I take him for um, you know big run around and um, spend lots of time with him then I think that's when yeah he sort of develops that yeah better mood with you and I mean it's just all about time with him I think like that's that's definitely my observation with um, with him yeah and has he enriched your I mean it's maybe a stupid question but has he enriched your life when, when you got him well absolutely yeah like without a doubt I mean we um we always sort of wonder now, like, what what did we do before before Barney turned up? Um, I don't know how we spent our time, but it's like every weekend he's now just sort of planned around him. Uh, you know, he's he was in our wedding. <laughs> yeah, he's like, and they, he was mentioned multiple times about him being like out in our family, and he came and gave us a little cuddle at our wedding when we were sort of 
exchanging rings and stuff, yeah. It was really nice. He didn't know what was going on, you know, with 100 people sort of all turning up at one moment, you know, thinking, what's going on here? But he's actually in, um, in my, my bows as well. I said, that, I said made a reference that, um, you know, even though I'm Barney's favourite, you know, and then so on. <laughs> Went down well. So has he done anything naughty since you've got there? Well, it was sort of funny, you know, for a while there was sort of saying, you know, he's, he's the perfect dog. He doesn't chew anything, and then my favourite um, pair of boots, my RM Williams, uh, which I've had maybe for 10, 15 years, just left them out. You know, Barney, the perfect dog, of course, he won't eat them, will he? Yep, no, he um, he got stuck into them. Yeah, he really he really uh, did a number on them. So Have you forgiven him? Yeah, it, it, look, I was at work at the time, and Soph sent me a photograph, and I was really not happy, and then as soon as I got home, and I saw him and it just changed the mood like that's what he does like he he sort of you just see his face and he comes up to you wagging his tail and you just happen to be you know angry with with someone like that right he's never ruined like any furniture or anything he's never really done any I guess the shoes were left next to his bed yeah probably asking for a bit of trouble absolutely absolutely well I can say destroying your favourite boots (laughs) and he's still that's that's true love you know you you love you can get the boots repaired as well, and, and we did, so... Um. <laughs> that was Alex's and Sophie's top dog, Barney. I met them last year in pre-COVID times in the Melbourne Botanical Gardens at the Top Dog Film Festival. By the way, we talked back then to the festival director, Jemima. You can listen to that interview in the episode number 21, titled... Top Dog Film Festival. And speaking of film festival, 80 years after Lassie captured Hearts, the world's most famous dog, returns to the big screen in Lassie Come Home. It is a contemporary adaption of Eric Knight's literary classic. The remake, made in Germany, has recently been released at the Children's International Film Festival in Australia and will be screening in all the major cities, plus in New Zealand. As it says, it is an adaption of the original story, possibly tailored to the amusement of the whole family. The original book, although, goes far deeper. It is not only about Lassie, a rough collie, it also portrays the people, their social pattern, at that time in England. Eva Moura, a cognitive therapist and hopeless book enthusiast, took a closer look at the classic story of Lassie. Hello, Eva. Hello, Adrian. Thank you for coming again and telling us about a fascinating book, or rather a dog. This time it's Lassie. Yes, I think that's one of the most famous dogs. Do you know anyone who does not know Lassie? Maybe my kids. They don't know it? No, I don't think so. Your kids are 9 and 10 or 11 years old? Yeah, 10. So I think I know Lassie because I watched a television series, never read the book. Exactly. Have you read the book? Yes, but now, not not when I was a child. I was very surprised that it is seen as a children's book. Um, I wasn't aware when I was a kid that there is a book called Lassie. I only knew um, the TV show and grew up with it. So every every week we had one episode and 
that was it. And we all sat in front of the TV and, and waited for the next adventure. And, of course, I think that the TV show is, is a little bit different than the book, at least as I remember it, because it was more like Leslie came home at the end of every episode <laughs> and not at the end of the book. And I think a lot of people don't know the actual book behind it or didn't know that there's a book that was the, the, the foundation of the TV show. Did you know that? No, I didn't know. I thought it was a television series. That's all I knew, but I learned too. It's a book. It's called Lassie, Come Home. The mysterious bit is that there's a dash between come and home. So some people say it's part of the name, Lassie, Come Home, or you might know a different theory. Yes, so the information says that some breeders have dogs and they sell them. But they're trying to escape from their new owners and come back so they can sell them again. Oh, so it's a come-home dog. Yes. That's where it comes from. Yeah. Right. But in, later in the TV show, um, it was not, not seen that way. Uh, it was just like Leslie come home in really coming home <laughs> and not as like we breed you and we sell the dog and it's like a fraud. Now, it's based on a short story. Do you know the sto a short story? I don't know the short story, it's just not a, the actual the, book the from, note, from Eric Knight. Shall I tell about the short story? Tell about the short story. <laughs> okay. Now it's based on the short story which Eric Knight wrote and it was first published in 1938 and uh, it was set in the Depression era England and uh, it's about a rough collie, that's the Lassie dog. He is reunited with uh, her young Yorkshire master after the family is forced to sell her for money. In the long-form story, it's that they have to sell the dog because they're running out of money. As the start of the story is the same, you know, that um, it's the, the boy, Joe, is like the, the companion, is Lassie, and she's waiting for him every, every day when he comes out of school and she's very loyal to him and everyone in the, in the village knows that it's a fabulous dog the parents decide to sell her to like the rich duke of the area because the miners have to leave their jobs there are no jobs anymore the, the mine closes down and they're running out of money they can't buy food anymore and of course Joe doesn't understand that he's 12 in this story and he's very upset about it and what I really like in the book is it describes this, not only the breed of the dog, but also the, the breed of the people of this, this landscape, that it's a very rough landscape and they're sturdy, they are rough with each other, but they love each other. So it's, it's a really interesting way to portray like the, the era, as you said, but also the people who live there. And that's very interesting. And that's why I was I was surprised that it's seen as a children's book. I hardly know children's books are really going really deep into like these social problems in, in that way. I just read a snippet of the book, how it starts. Everyone in Green Old Bridge knew Sam Caracloth Lassie. In fact you might say that she was the best-known dog in the village, and for three reasons. First, because nearly every man in the village agreed she was the finest collie he had ever laid eyes on. This was praise indeed, for Greenall Bridge 
is in the county of Yorkshire. And of all the places in the world, it is here that the dog is really king. In that bleak part of northern England, the dog seems to thrive as it does nowhere else. The wind and the cold rains sweep over the flat moorlands, making the dogs rich-coated and as sturdy as the people who live there. So it's really like the dog is like the landscape and the people are like the, the landscape. Poor Lassie gets sold and she escapes several times and runs back to Joe um, to reunite with, with her master. But of course the Duke comes and takes the dog back, is very upset and he seems to be a very grumpy old man. So he decides to give this dog to his granddaughter, Priscilla, and they move the poor Lassie up to Scotland. She escapes again, but it's like 4,000 miles away from her hometown, Greenall. And the whole book describes this journey home and her adventures on this way and the people she meets and uh, she gets nearly killed and accidents and incidents until she finally finds her way home to Joe And Duke and Priscilla the granddaughter, they come back too. The Duke wants to have Lassie back again, but Priscilla convinces the Duke that Lassie is not Lassie. It's a different dog. So Lassie is lost. That's what she tries to convince her, her grandfather. So Lassie, the real Lassie, can stay with Joe and, and really lives the life she wants to live. And that's like the good ending of the story. But I think it's a historical novel, because it's written in the 40s, so it portrays the the ideas and the people of that time. And I'm pretty sure there were a lot of people around that thought in a similar way. So I wouldn't give this book to my kids without any explanation. Yeah, they would struggle to understand the, the social background of the story. So the one story is Lassie coming home and the, the loyal dog, but the backdrop are the social situations or the, the social hardships of that time. And I think if you, if you see it as a children's book today, I think it's really important to explain to the kids why it was written in that way. Thank you, Eva. Thank you, Adrian. Time for a new episode of the audiobook Pirate the Barking Kookaburra. We are up to chapter 15, which is also the second last one. You can go as far back as episode number 18 of the podcast if you need a brush up of what happened so far in this tale about Pirate, a lost kookaburra who has befriended a bunch of dogs. We know Pirate has lost his memory. He doesn't know where he comes from. His foster mum dog Stelzi takes him on a journey which hopefully triggers his memory. However, Stelzi gets bitten by Tiger, the snake, and ends up in hospital. Will she survive? Will she come home again? For the other dogs, Ajax and Hoover, Buddha the cat, and Pirate, an agonizing wait has begun.
Back at the farmhouse, time seemed to have come to a standstill. Pirate was sitting in the driveway on top of the gate, waiting. Waiting for news from the hospital. Waiting for Steltz's master to bring her home in the ute. Ajax, Hoover and Buddha sat on the veranda. They were speaking softly, but Pirate could hear every word they were saying. What's going to happen to Tiger? Ajax wondered. Once the veterinarian had a look at her, she will end up in the zoo, said Buddha. That's good, said Hoover. There, she won't be able to bite anyone anymore. When will Steltza be back? Hopefully soon, if everything goes well. But it doesn't look good for her. We got her to the hospital quite late. Almost too late. I hope there was time enough to give her the anti-venom. Let's hope for the best. Yes, let's hope for the best. She'll be right, mate. Pirate had his eyes set on the driveway, wishing the ute would come around the corner now. But it took another endless hour, even a whole eternity, until it finally pulled up. Pirate ran up to the veranda, hoping to see Steltzer jumping out of the car. But she didn't. Instead, her master leaned over the passenger seat. As he turned around, he was holding Steltzer in his arms. Pirate's heart sank to the bottom of his stomach. Steltzer lay in her master's arms like a scrubby, worn-out scarecrow he once saw in a paddock. Her eyes were shut. Her head was hanging down, her ears swaying like two wet rags. Her legs were dangling in all directions while her master carried her to the veranda and gently put her down on the couch. Ajax and Hoover wagged their tails but instantly pulled them in after they had a sniff at her. That was not a good sign. Pirate held his breath. He jumped onto the couch and nudged Stelsa's snout with his head. Wake up! Stelsa, wake up! He whined. But Stelsa didn't move. Pirate dropped, leaning against her head. He could still feel the warmth of her body. Pressing his body against hers, he burst into tears. I don't want you to be dead. Please wake up. Wake up. He looked at her mouth and remembered the first time he'd snuggled up to her. Back then, he was taken by the soft skin of her lips. He had pulled them with his beak, had stretched them nearly over his head. All of a sudden, they'd flipped back with a hollow smack, and Pirate himself fell backwards, landing on his bottom. Ouch! How funny that was. I don't want you to be dead, he whined again, pulling her lips softly and closing his eyes. Please don't be dead. While his tears were rolling down his beak, and dropping over Steltz's lips, he wished back the times when he'd slept between her legs, feeling very safe. He remembered and could feel again Steltz's gentle strokes when she licked his feathers clean. He felt Steltz's tongue making its way up to his head. 
It buried him under its warm and spongy flesh. Pirate could feel and even smell the soaking trail of dog spit all over his face. Back then, he thought it was disgusting, but now he wished the licking had never ended. He would have given everything to make Steltzer alive again. While he pressed his body harder against hers, he believed he heard a sudden giggle, and then another longer one, and a chuckle. The giggling and the chuckling both grew louder until Pirate opened one eye. He saw Buddha, Ajax and Hoover standing in front of the couch. They giggled and chuckled and at the same time pointed at something above Pirate's head. Wondering what it was, he opened the other eye and looked up, and then he saw it. Steltz's tongue, as wet as a dripping face cloth. It landed on his face with a smack like a whale's splash into the ocean. Buddha, Ajax and Hoover burst into laughter. Are we having a morning bath, mate? Babies are all the same. They don't like to be washed, said Steltzer softly and gave Pirate another big slurp with her tongue. Steltzer, you're alive! All hell broke loose. A cheery, jolly and happy hell, though, if anything like it ever existed. Anyway, it did now. Pirate exploded with joy. He jumped up and down and all over Steltzer, picking and nudging her head and ears at the same time and constantly shouting, Steltzer, you're alive! You're alive, you're alive! Steltzer, I can fly, said Pirate, and flew as fast as a rocket to the fence. Then he turned around in a whoosh and came back even faster. Hovering over her head, he yelled, Look, I can fly, I can fly. That's my baby, said Steltzer, with an enormous smile on her face, reaching from one ear to the other. After near endless celebration, everybody ended up snuggling up to each other on the couch. Steltzer in the middle, Pirate between her legs. Does it still hurt? Pirate asked, looking at the bandage around Steltzer's paw. 
No, it doesn't. I still feel a bit weak, though. But give me another week and I'll be back on my paws. The wicked never die young, as my mother used to say. Pirate, you did a fantastic job. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw you flying with tiger in your claws. You were very brave, but I knew that you could do it. Without your help, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. Pirate told Steltzer about his adventure with the kookaburras. He was very proud about not being scared of them anymore. They were his friends now. Oh, how did you do that? I barked and growled at them. Oof, roof, roof. Like a true dog, said Buddha, giving Steltzer a smirk. Didn't I tell you back in the gorge that whatever he learns now will one day be for his own benefit? Well, I suppose once I'm back on my paws, I should learn how to fly. And I will teach you. How nice, a happy ending. No, not quite yet. Everybody is relieved that Stelzi is back on her paws, but the big question now is, will Pirate ever find his way home? Will he ever be back with his real parents? We will find out in the next and last chapter of the audiobook next month. And if you can't wait that long, you have the opportunity to purchase the whole audiobook Pirate the Barking Kookaburra and listen to it over and over again. You will find more information on the website www.bubenberg.com. Pirate the Barking Kookaburra is also available as ebook and paperback. The website again www.bubenberg.com or go to the Top Dog website www.topdog.space. And that's it for today. I'm Adrian Plitzkow. If you have any more questions or maybe doubts, who knows, drop me an email, adrian at topdog.space. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.